Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Jude. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. The title of our message this morning is, God Contends for Us. God Contends for Us. We've spent 23 verses hearing God command us to contend for the gospel. Now, coming to the last two verses of this small, power-packed book, God says, actually, I contend for you. I'm the one who will keep you and contend for you. You know, Jude is small. It's a small book, but it's like a sprint. I mean, I could just imagine myself, think of the Olympics, think of watching uh, the the sprinters in the 100-meter dash. And just, just kind of imagine in your mind as you, as you get to those blocks, right? And, and just by way of review, as you hear verse 1 of Jude, Jude 1.1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. That's hearing the, the starter say, runners to your marks. So verse 1 kind of calls you to the marks and you stand there, you got the blocks there. And then verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And you hear the starter say, runners get set. And they, got, they kneel down and they get their, their feet in there and they get their hands right there. And man, then you know, and they kind of get up in that stance. And then verse three, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And you hear, bang, the starter's gun. And we've been sprinting for 23 verses. And we're sprinting down that track as fast as we can go. We're flying down that track. We're, we're, we're remembering, man, it is Christ who keeps me, but then he calls me to keep myself in his love. We're called to challenge those people who creep into the church unaware, and they come with wrong teaching and wrong living, and they sometimes creep into my head. We're talking, and God says, save those, have mercy on those who doubt, snatching others from the fires. And we're like, we're sprinting down that track as hard as we can go. 23 verses of contending for the faith. And as we approach the finish line, God reminds us of something. I contend for you. I'm here. I'm keeping you. These last two verses come at just the right time. Our muscles are beginning to tighten. The lactic acid in them is beginning to freeze them up. We're at, we're at, you know, meter 90. We're approaching that finish line and God speaks to us. I contend for you. And what results in these two verses is one of the greatest expressions of praise to God we find in the Bible. So are you there? Jude chapter 1 verses 24 and 25. Let's read this great expression of praise to our God as we're sprinting down the track of contending for the faith once and for all delivered to us. Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen to the stadium now roaring as you hear this praise to God. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. And now and forevermore. Amen. Our text is a doxology. That word doxa is the Greek word for glory. A doxology is a text that speaks of glorifying God. This is one of my favorite doxologies in the entire Bible. It follows the pattern of a typical doxology in the Bible. What is that pattern? Well, first of all, it identifies God. It identifies him as the one deserving praise or glory, doxa. It ascribes praise to God. It describes the eternal nature of that praise, and it ends with, Amen. Now, three such doxologies that I invite you to read this morning at lunch. Just have a a daily doxology. It'll keep your soul focused on God above. But three of them that I invite you to read today... One is at the end of the book of Romans. Just go to the last chapter of Romans, chapter 16, the last verses, Romans 16, 25 to 27. Another one is in the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians, chapter 3, the last two verses of chapter 3. And another doxology is at the end of 2 Peter. We just finished preaching the letter of 2 Peter. And that one I'm going to display for you on the screen here, 2 Peter three eighteen, And it says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is who we're praising. To him be the glory, doxa, doxology, both now and to the day of eternity, the eternal nature of this glory we give to God. And it ends with, amen. Amen. See, friends, we all have something in us that desires glory. That is why we cheer so wildly when our team wins and suffer so terribly when it loses. It is what draws us to things or people that are beautiful and successful and kind and wealthy and benevolent and smart and generous. We all give glory to someone or something because that is how God created us. You see, God made us for his glory. God made us to give him glory, but when man chose to rebel against God in the Garden of Eden, and you and I were there, according to Scripture, we participated in that, that desire for glory that was meant for God was perverted. It was inverted, typically inwards, so we start living for our own glory, or we start putting glory on things that don't deserve our ultimate glory, as Corey alluded to. We begin to glorify people, gifts, creation. All good, in many cases, but not deserving the ultimate glory and praise that God does. We start looking for glory in all the wrong places. We're cursed. As Adam and Eve were cursed because they rebelled against God. Here's the good news. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Praise God. 
so that he would reorient our desire for glory and our focus of glory onto the one who ultimately deserves glory. And that's God. And that's what doxologies do. That's why they resonate with us. That's why when I read this, you were like, little chills were going up and down your spine. You're going, yeah! That's why, that's why stadiums roar when people run the 100-meter dash in record time. That's why stadiums roar when people hit walk-off home runs in the World Series. That's why stadiums roar when the winning touchdown is scored or the field goal is kicked with three seconds left and the underdog beats the favorite. That taps back into how you were, you were made for glory. You were made for honor. You were made for beauty. There's something in us that wants that. It's what fuels oftentimes our pursuits of, of all kinds of pleasure and, and even success in careers. That's good, but the ultimate glory is God's. And Jesus reorients us to that ultimate glory so that when we live in a decidedly non-glorious world, we can still rejoice in the glory of Christ, though we suffer in this world. And that's what this text is all about. That's what this book is all about. That's what the, that's what the gospel is all about. When, when Jude is saying, Contend for the faith. He's saying contend for this. This is truth. This is beauty. This is ultimate glory. This is ultimate worth. Worship is worthship. It's what I invest ultimate worth in. It's not in a beautiful person who can sing well. Or, or a marvelously sculpted athlete who can run well. Or a genius who can think well and, and figure things out. Or even a leader who can lead well. Those are all good things. We can enjoy them. But my ultimate worship is is God. It's God. And so we contend for that faith. The very faith that contends for us. The very God who contends for us calls us to contend for the faith. Today delivers us to the place where we just glorify him. We glory in our redeemer. Because he is worthy to be glorified. This call to glorify God is at the essence of this text. This faith that God has delivered to us once and for all that calls us to invest ultimate worth and glory in God alone is the faith that keeps us, the God who keeps us, that reveals ultimate beauty and glory, and we're to give praise to God. In fact, the simple summation of today's text is this. Give God the praise that is eternally his. Give God the praise that is eternally his. Listen, this call is for believer and unbeliever. If you're here this morning as an unbeliever, thank you for coming. It is a privilege to have you with us. The Bible says that you can't see the ultimate beauty and praise and glory of God. You are blinded to that. My prayer is that God would open your eyes and unstop your ears so that you would hear what is truly worthy of praise, what is truly worthy of your life, and you would run to your Savior, you would repent, and you would believe as you listen to the gospel from this text. And to you, my dear believing friend, my brother and sister in Christ, you who can see God's praise and glory, you who understand what he's done for you in Christ, I pray that God would refresh the screen of God's beauty for you. The colors would become vivid again for you. I pray that God would restore the joy of your salvation this morning. Because he's writing to Christians whose joy has been somewhat muted by the suffering they have endured because of the gospel. They're in a tough place. 
as many of us are. But I pray this message from this text would revive and bring great joy to you. I pray that God would restore the joy of your salvation this morning as you hear this truth and as you see your Savior. So let's look at our Savior, shall we? Point one. The only God, our Savior. Please look with me at verse 25. You see that? To the only God, our Savior. Why is Jude calling him the only God, our Savior? That's rather curious. Well, here's why. Because in verse 24, Jude tells us that he, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the one who keeps us from stumbling and presents us blameless in the presence of his glory with great joy. So before he tells us in verse 25 to give him glory and honor and majesty and and power and dominion, not give it to him but acknowledge it, he first displays for us who this God is. He is the God who keeps us from stumbling. Do you see that in verse 24? Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. The picture I have is of those running in sprints in the Olympics in Rio this last summer. And a couple of favorites stumbled and fell. I mean, that really hurts. That, there was one that, ugh, I just, as they hit the, the, the turf there, I was just wincing. They're running full speed. These people are running fast. I don't know, 15, 20 miles an hour. I mean, they are moving. And they stumble and they crash to the ground. And they're disqualified from winning a medal. And that's the picture here that I see. God himself promises to keep us from stumbling. To keep you from stumbling. That word keep, circle that word, that's a very important word in the letter to Jude. In this case, I believe what it is saying is that it is pointing to the grace of God that will keep us until the day of his return and glory. Now, now unbeliever, this is now the gospel you're going to hear. So as a Christian, God calls us to believe in the following. Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh to live the perfect life that God requires everybody to live, but no one can. And then Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins that we have committed. And then Jesus Christ rose from the dead to forgiveness of sins and to eternal life. And Jesus rose from the dead signifying God's certification of his sacrifice. And he ascended into heaven and he promises everyone who are, those who are his, the elect, who repent and believe, that they will be guarded, they will be kept until that day. By the power of the grace of God. See, I believe what he's talking about here ultimately is salvation. He will keep us from stumbling in the sense of apostatizing, a fancy word for denying the faith. That's not going to happen to you, true believer. God promises to keep you. Even if today you are tempted to say, where are you, God? Even if you're a youth and you're saying, I I don't know if that faith that I see in my parents, is that really, I I think I have it, but I'm not feeling, can God really preserve me until that day? If you're wondering, yes, he can. And he promises to, to keep you from stumbling. Now, I think you can apply it a little more broadly to stumbling in the sense of, of, of stumbling in sin. But this promise isn't that you won't sin. It's that you won't deny your Savior. 
that you're going to reach that day of glory, no matter how awful your life may be right now, no matter what you're doing right now, you're thinking, how can I even be a Christian after what I did last night or what I thought yesterday or how I cheated on my taxes or I cheated on my spouse or I was angry with my children or I was angry with the person that I was driving next to in the freeway or I spoke so harshly against my employer or I just lied. I just, can you believe I just lied? And you're walking out of that, and you're struggling with that, and you're saying, listen, God is not, is not going to just say, oh, that's okay. No, no, he will, as a good heavenly father, discipline you. But if you're a true believer, you're the elect of God, and you've been saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, through the grace of God alone, you've repented and believed, God is going to keep you from stumbling. You're going to get there. Though you look pretty non-glorious right now, you're going to get to the place of glory. And that's stuff that makes you so shamed and guilty and regretful, it's going to be washed away. Man, that's good news. I don't know about you, that's really good news for me. Because there's some days I just like, I don't, don't much feel like a Christian or a saint of God. But I am, and he will keep me. He will keep you. And that's good, that's good stuff. That's good, good stuff. God's grace in Christ keeps us Listen, it keeps you in both cases. Either when you think you've disappointed God and he might <laughs> reject you, serious disappointment, or when you think God has disappointed you and you're tempted not to believe anymore or even want to believe. You know, I've disappointed God, that's my sin. God's disappointed me. Hey God, why did you allow that to happen? You feel lost. You feel, you feel just broken. God will keep you from stumbling. Not only that, God will present you blameless with great joy on that day. Read with me, 24b. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Church, in Scripture, when people confront the presence of God's glory, when they see his face, actually they don't see his face, when he's even close, do you know what normally happens in Scripture? People cry out the following, Don't kill me! They hit the ground and they say, Please don't kill me. I mean, it's kind of like one of my seminary profs said, you know, he, he was listening to a young seminarian praying, praying, praying loud and strong. And, and the prof comes and says, what are you doing? He says, he says, oh, doctor, so-and-so, I'm trying to get a hold of God. I'm trying to get a hold on God. And the p- seminary professor says, and what are you going to do once you do get a hold of God? I mean, well, I mean, what are you going to do when you bust through the gates of glory and get into his presence of glory? Stop and think about that for a moment. Because biblically, that's a terrifying place if you come alone with your own righteousness. It's a terrifying place. It will not go well for you. Show me that in scripture, Al. Okay, let's go there. Exodus 33, 18 to 23. What's my point? My point is that, whoa. My point is that he's going to present us blameless before his glory with great joy. And my point is that that is a rather unusual thing to say and a miraculous thing to happen because of this right here. Exodus 33, 18 to 23. This is Moses writing about 1500 BC. And he's writing about his experience with God. 
And he says the following, Moses said, Exodus 33, 18 to 23, Moses said to God, please show me your glory. And he, God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You you know, it's pretty serious. This is someone that was called a friend of God. This is Moses. You can't see my face and live, Moses. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not be seen, because you'll die. Now go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. Listen to what the Apostle John is describing at the coming of Christ. We're going to see as well people, and we're going to see them hiding in rocks. But in this case, God hasn't placed them in the cleft of the rock to hide them. They're trying to hide in the rocks on their own. Why? Because of the glory of God and his opposition to sin. It's called the wrath of God. If he's a good God, he must be opposed to sin. And we see this in Revelation six fifteen to 17. Then the kings of the earth, these aren't just anybody. These are the kings of the earth. And the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone you see on TV. Wait, that's not on there. And everyone slave and free. All of them pounding the table and saying they're all that. The ones that we tend to envy that are walking on the red carpet tonight for whatever show there's going to be on, whatever award ceremony. Whoever you think is all that, for me who's running down the field, scoring the winning touchdown, there goes Pino. (laughs) My face is there in the face. All those that we think are great, but apart from Christ, in the presence of God's glory, listen to what happens. And everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. That's Jesus. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? I'll tell you who can stand. The one who God enables to stand blameless and with great joy at his coming because they stand in Christ. He's the rock in whom we hide. He received the wrath that I deserve, that you deserve. That is a source of great joy, even if your life is not very good right now. Or the person that got elected is not the one you wanted. Or even if it's the one you wanted, that's not your hope. Because on that day, I don't care who you voted for. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what passport you hold. I don't care who you are. If Christ is not Lord, that day will be a horrible day. You'll be calling out for the rocks to hide you from the wrath of the Lamb. But if you're in Christ, God will present you blameless on that day. As you bust through the finish line of life and find yourself suddenly in the presence of the glory of God, Instead of shrieking with horror and say, hide me, you will look to your Savior and say, thank you for saving me. That's a lot of joy. That's a lot of joy. 
I pray that God would increase your joy. As I was praying for you, church, I had this sense that what God wanted to do this morning is just increase your joy. Because I know some of you are in places that aren't very joyful. You're really going through it. But I pray you would, as you come to that finish line, you just kind of lift your head up as you begin to lean in. And you would see Jesus. He's going to present you, if you're a true believer, blameless, not because of your righteousness, because of his, with great joy. Man, that's good news. God, increase our, our joy this morning. Increase our joy, no matter what suffering. That you'll, you'll see God's face and you won't die because Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. You will live. I mean, talk about joy. First, imagine that you're in a courtroom and you've been charged with a horrible crime, murder, drug trafficking, whatever. And the, you just hear the judge say, guilty, life imprisonment. Guilty, the death penalty. Or you're in a courtroom, you've been sued for several million dollars, and you just heard the verdict come in. You've got to pay, you're, you're liable. Now imagine that someone enters the courtroom and either says, I'm paying that millions of dollars. Or they say, you know, we've made, no, he's, he's going to go free, she's going to go free. Think of the joy of that. I I don't know if you have ever been in trouble with the law or if you've ever been in trouble just with anybody and they suddenly release you from that judgment you know you deserve. That's that's joy. Multiply that by a million. That's what he's talking about. And because of that joy, what are we to do? Point two, we're to join in the eternal praise to God. We praise God. Back to our doxology. Jude 25. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, because this salvific act has been done through Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. And so here's, here's, here's the wonderful thing. Because we see that, we then stand before God, and we don't give him glory He already has glory. We simply acknowledge what is his. Do you you get that? You're not giving God anything. He has it, but now you get to acknowledge it because he's given you life. Before you were blind to it, now you see it. You realize the true glory is in God. What does that word glory signify here in verse 25? Well, a lot of things. In the first century, this Greek word had with it the following sort of range of meaning. It spoke of honor. Who do we honor? It spoke of resplendence and beauty. What do we think is beautiful? What do we go, wow, that person's beautiful. They sing beautifully. They're resplendent. And the idea here is that it is ascribing this or acknowledging this as being ultimately fulfilled in God and his salvific work. Remember that the scripture says that Christ came as the glory of God. The glory of God revealed in Christ. And here's the amazing thing, Christ on the cross. You want to know something that's worthy of glory and of my whole life is the very cross where my penalty was paid and I received Christ's righteousness. Glory! It it talks about public reputation. It carried with it the idea of fame. Are we ringing any bells yet? We're we're to to say, that's my hero. 
I'm publicly proclaiming, this is the one we glorify. Look at the fame of his name. That, that's the idea here. So that we take the glory we've given to whomever or whatever, normally to ourselves or at least desire for ourselves, and we ascribe it to the one to whom it truly belongs, God, because of what he's done in Christ. And we publicly express it and we acclaim God, and that's called evangelism. It's what we're doing right now, but it's out there too. We do it humbly and kindly. And we say, oh God, you've protected us, you've saved us, you've kept us, you've preserved us. You will deliver us blameless before the presence of your glory with great joy. And I'm going to publicly proclaim you. Your fame, I'm going to spread as far and as wide as I can till the day I die. Who do you talk about? It's okay to talk about the great play yesterday. I'm not saying you can't do that. It's okay to talk about a really good movie. It's okay to talk about a leader that you admire or an intellectual or even, or even physical beauty or someone who can sing well. It's fine, but let it be in the right proportion to how much we talk about the fame of God. His majesty. What does it mean to ascribe to him majesty? Well, majesty typically denotes, as you might imagine, his greatness. He, he's worthy of all majesty because of his exalted position. We give him, we acknowledge his majesty. We don't give it to him. He has it, but we acknowledge it. See, that's the whole idea back in Revelation 6. It's those who refuse to acknowledge it that receive the wrath because it's ultimately so wrong not to give majesty to the one who has majesty and to ascribe it to someone else, and again, typically to ourselves. We want to be the majestic imperial one who rules the universe. (laughs) We aren't. God is. And then the last two really are the, are the third one. They kind of go together. Dominion and authority. This dominion and authority, or you could translate it power and authority, are just speaking of, I ascribe to God the fact that he truly is sovereign. He truly is in control. So every time Alpino gets angry, when Alpino doesn't get Alpino's way, he's not ascribing dominion and authority to God. He's ascribing it to Alpino. And that's when he's got, Al's got to repent. I don't know about you, but when I bang my fist on the table because what I wanted doesn't happen, or I bang my fist on the table, or I weep inside of my bedroom because what I want to have happen isn't happening. When I, when I say, God, I, I want to be married, but there's no, there's no, where's, I, you're not providing that in my life. Lord, I want to be successful at work, but every time I go to work, I, I find that I'm just getting uh, criticized and And beaten down by my employer. And sometimes it's just, but sometimes it's unjust. God, God, I I wanted this business to succeed because I wanted to give money to the church. And I wanted to do really well financially so I could be secure and provide for my children. But it's all falling apart around my ears. God, don't you see that I'm preaching my heart out or I'm I'm, I'm sharing the gospel or I'm, I'm giving and giving or I'm caring for my children, but they don't seem to reciprocate. As a matter of fact, they, they kind of looks like they hate me. And I, and I bang my fist on the counter. And God's saying, no, no, worship me. I am the one whose dominion and power and authority is over all. I'm the one that's in control. I'm the one who directs all things. All things. All things. How tall I am. How smart I am. Who gets elected. How the economy's going. Whether my body is filled with health and strength until I'm 90 whether I'm struggling with health issues at 21. It's God, and I ascribe to him that, particularly in those moments when what I am experiencing is a bit of a dark providence. 
It's just a fancy way of saying bad things are kind of happening right now. And then through my tears, I go, oh God, I I ascribe to you dominion and authority because it's yours. Because you saved me and you kept me. At the conclusion of this doxology, we see the eternal nature of God's praise. Remember I told you we're not giving God any of this. It's been his. Well, at the end we find out it's been his from all eternity. And our brains kind of don't process that well. But just read it with me. Before all time, at the end of verse 25, and now and forever. So before all time, now, November 13th, 2016, and forever. All he's saying is, will you join in with the praise that has been God from God's from all eternity? We're just joining our voices to the chorus in heaven. David Rios alluded to that when he was leading us in worship. I'm simply saying, Lord, it's always been yours. It is yours. It will always be yours. And I'm just like, you know, just joining the chorus. Unbeliever, join the chorus this morning. Unbeliever, join your voice this morning so that today God's hand would hide you in the rock, Jesus, and you would receive his favor so that on that day you're not running on your own account trying to hide underneath the rock from his wrath. I beg you, repent and believe now by the grace of God. Let us join together, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we lean into the tape as the sprint is nearing an end, for some of us a little faster than for others. Let us look up and let us see the beauty of God. Let us see the glory of God. Let us see the majesty of God. Let us see the dominion of God. Let us acknowledge the authority of God displayed in Christ who has saved us and keeps us and promises us glory forever and ever and ever so that my present sufferings are nothing in comparison to that glory. I don't say that flippantly, because I know some of you are suffering a lot right now. And the megaphone of your pain seems so loud. But I pray that God's gentle, powerful voice would come not only upon you, but from within, from the word of God in you. And it would just say, glory, glory, glory. Now join with me in the praise that is God's and has been his from all eternity. Christian, I pray that your joy would grow and in fact would be great this morning because it is God who contends for you. It is God who keeps you from stumbling. It is God who presents you blameless in the presence of his glory with great joy. God will deliver us to the winner's podium in the great award ceremony in the sky. He will give us the medal that he earned. And may we just imagine, like in the Olympics, people standing there, and as the national anthem is playing, whatever country, all the countries, everybody cries. And tears are streaming down their face. But there'll be tears of joy. It's, it's, it's an award we could never earn ourselves. He won it, and he gives it to us. May that vision help you as you're going through difficult times today. I pray that. Just before we go to prayer, let me just say this. We're going to spend some time worshiping. We're going to sing, I will glory in my Redeemer. If you're here this morning in just two cases, if you're an unbeliever and God has really spoken to you, I ask you to come forward. Corey or myself, and if we have more people that need prayer, the community group leaders, feel free to come on up and pray for people. We just want to be here to pray for you. You may just want to turn to someone and say, would you pray for me? That's very appropriate. But also the second group is, dear Christian, if you're sitting here going, Al, I don't feel great joy right now. 
I mean, I'm just being honest with you, Al. I don't feel great joy. I want to see what you're talking about. I feel like I just tripped and I just bounced about 15 times down the track. My elbow's all bleeding. My knees are bleeding. I think I might have broken my, my leg. I don't whatever. And you just say, I want that joy. Come on down. We'd love to pray for you. Or just turn to someone that you know, maybe in your community group or a friend, and say, would you pray for me? And that can, that can go on while we're singing. Because God is here to minister to us. He's not out there. He is out there. He's here. He's everywhere. He's with us. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads in prayer. Worship team, would you please join me up front? Father, I pray that you would minister your word by your spirit to your people. Lord, and I include in that those who maybe right now are unbelievers, but they are your elect. And this morning is the time that you've chosen to open their eyes, convict their hearts, give them faith to repent and believe. But certainly the believer who's here, Lord, would you comfort your people? Would you encourage your people? You, God, contend for us. You, you, you keep us. You promise to present us blameless with great joy when we see you face to face. And we will. We'll see you face to face. And the only hope we have is that we trust in your sovereign grace expressed in Christ. So increase the joy of the saints that are here listening to me. Lord, build your church. May the gates of hell not prevail against it, for we will glory in our Redeemer. Amen.